JR figured out and we're live. <laughs> eh, I mean, sometimes I fake it, right? That's what the kids say. We fake it till we make it. Absolutely. Um, so, hey, see, she gets it. Doc, you should take notes. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. The place, uh, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Katie Korsak, uh, introduce herself to our listeners and viewers. <laughs> Hi. Um... <laughs> That was that's it's a true story. My mom does like you better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my name is Kate. Um, I am a fantasy author and a map maker, a fantasy map maker specifically. Um, I have one book published, my debut novel, and I am very happy to be here. Outstanding. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is... One, uh, I forgot to tell you that uh, apparently Doc says I owe her a coffee every time I mess up the intro, but the messing up to keep it unique is kind of why we didn't just pre-record it. So I don't think that's fair. So tell Doc, I don't owe her anything. Uh, with that being said, uh, the reason, uh, the next part of the introduction is how we found the guest. So I actually found her through Instagram because I was just scrolling, looking for authors so we can diversify the guests. And I saw all of her awesome maps. Uh, and then I forgot I was supposed to be looking for authors and I just looked at the maps, which are pretty cool. <laughs> well done. Thank and you. then I said, Oh wait, she's got a book. Let me JR ask her if she wants to come like on the show. Pictures. The, I do. I cannot blame him. Pretty maps are absolutely superior. Let's be real. She makes them look like they're old. Like they're the sepia colors that I can actually see, which is chef's kiss. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> yeah. is that I'm colorblind? So when they do land nav that you couldn't read the map. Wait, 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 wait. Who said I ever failed land nav? Look, just because we invaded Canada doesn't mean I failed land nav. That was not my fault, all right? They let the lieutenant in charge. I tried to tell him. He didn't listen. At a certain point in time, you just got to let them, like, fall on their own grenade. JR, not my fault. I know where you went to school. You failed land nav. Hmm. Well, I passed I it at, at uh, PLDC. And I passed it at basic, and I passed it at the infantry school. That's all I'm saying. I passed it every time I had to. So there. It's a good thing it's a pass-fail thing. So. <laughs> I mean, you didn't die, and you didn't end up lost in the wilderness, and nobody had to send a search party. That's a win. Wow. And, and for all of you people listening, for all you people listening, when they tell you that you see a body of water, you go around it, don't listen to the LT who tells you it's a shortcut to walk through the dang swamp. All right. It's not a good choice. That was not my finest moment to listen. I should have drowned the LT, said he got lost and kept on trucking. Note to all LTs or LT wannabes. It there is never a shortcut. Because I've this is I knew an LT who took people on a shortcut through a landvine field. Yeah. There is never a shortcut. Um, when we were in Iraq, we actually ran the uh, Atlanta peach tree race. Doc, that's uh, that's your neck of the woods, but we did it in Iraq because it's supposed to simulate it at the same time you were, and it was through a cleared minefield. And they told us that as long as we stayed on the trail, we were okay. But if we like ventured off, we'd die. And they threw a rock, and something went poof. Like I, we we assumed it was a grenade. They could have been lying to us. But you know, everybody had slower times than normal. And my squad leader, who runs marathons and stuff, she's like, "Yeah, because none of you cheated this time, huh? Because they were afraid to run through the minefield." I mean. 
that it would be a survival instinct that I'm impressed the infantry had. Uh, but getting back into this, well, show, she was an infantry. She was she was motor T, so I guess she she was smarter than us. Yes, yes, she was. We're just gonna leave that out. <laughs> yes. Oh, right. take this from ourselves and ask her the religion question. I'm trying. Shut up. So, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? I am gonna go Star Wars because that's just my thing. My husband loves Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Did Nick As pay you? Hmm? Did Nick pay you to say that? No. <laughs> no. That's our like, our so co-host is a huge Star. Star Wars art up at the wall. Um, and as someone who's like mainly a fantasy nerd, Star Wars has enough of that like touch of fantasy to just satisfy my little my little fantasy soul. So well, Star because it's basically space I mean, it's fantasy. space fantasy. It is. Yeah. So yep. the Empire did nothing wrong, or are you team rebel? I'll go rebel. But I do do have a soft spot for Kylo Ren, not because not because the the later movies are there there, uh, but I do I do like Kylo Ren. So, well, okay. I mean, he's hot. I forgive him being a Marine because he's hot. Wait, he was the actor was a Marine. Yeah, he was a Marine that. and he used his uh, scholar his GI Bill to go to Juilliard. Yeah, no, he was a Marine. That is fantastic. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well, if he used the scholarship, then he was enlisted too. Interesting. Okay. Yes. All right. There are Doc, now the fantasy religion questions. Lies. Okay. They're not. Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Willow? I was actually, this surprised me because I only recently learned about Willow. I'm very, I, so I was not, I was not raised in a fantasy home. I'm like one of the only ones in my family that's like super into fantasy. So I didn't know that's about okay. any. You can come hang out with me. I will. I didn't know about any of these until later on. Um, so Willow, I only recently found out in like maybe the last year or so, um, but I don't know much about it. Um, Game of Thrones is, I read it and I liked, I love the world. Um, it was, it was hard for me. It was so the the I know a lot of people are going to get mad at me for this because it's historically accurate, but y'all, the incest killed me. I couldn't do it. No, 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 no. You know what? There are so many you things what? that are historically accurate that we can just leave there in <laughs> history. It is a-okay. So those are the, and the world building of Wheel of Time is fantastic. So I'm going to go with Wheel of Time. Now I'm not. Very like I don't know a whole lot about it. I haven't gotten to read it yet, but I have a lot of friends who are super into it, and it's on my like list. As soon as well, I, I mean Sanderson, I'm reading Sanderson now. I'm going into Wheel of Time, and I'm very. Excited. I mean, there is an entire con dedicated to the Wheel of Time here in Atlanta. Yeah, so that's what uh that's what I'm gonna go with. I am very I'm looking forward to it because I have heard many good things about it. So, Wheel of Time or the con? Wheel of Time. The con sounds great too. Uh, <laughs> Jordan Con's a great, great convention. I know the the con chair there. She's a nice lady. Yeah. So maybe so, I have to hop on up there. Yay! If you come to town, we can hang out. Perfect. So, as you know, we love both sci-fi and fantasy. I'm pretty sure I'm going to guess that fantasy was your first love. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> See, she can stay, Jr. Absolutely. 
I mean, do you see nah, the okay. behind me are just covered in fantasy? <laughs> uh, uh, no, I will admit I am that person who will pause during the pandemic would pause and be like, let me judge your bookshelf, not by how clean it is, but by what titles you have on it. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a preferred yeah. organizational method for yeah. your bookshelf? Are we talking Dewey Decimal System, yes. color coding, height? I have been through all of it. So I did a height for a while. Um, I then did, I had a hot minute. This, these are two shelves behind me. I have a third shelf as well. That is the same size of these. It is on the other side of my little writing desk. Um, but it was for a time organized by author's last name, which was quite the task, but I did it. It was all author last name. Um, and then eventually I moved it to where it is now, where it is mostly by genre. Um, and then I've got like two shelves of books that I need, uh, uh, three shelves of books that I need to read that I have purchased or gotten as gifts. Um, and then I've got like so, a shelf that's like main right here in front of me. These are like top tier books. Love them. We'll recommend to everyone. So there, we, I have learned that there's a different, like the type of people who buy books and then the people that read them, they don't always, I mean, sometimes it's the same people, but the list don't always. So I buy way more books than I get around to reading. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could probably stop buying books for two years and still not get through all the books I bought. But I mean, it's, it's a good sale, right? You just yeah. So you got to. You like, I, I don't know. I went right. to an event with only four authors. I came back with two books. Yeah. <laughs> about 50% You've of You've got them. a problem, Doc, but it's yeah. okay. So do I. So. so. Yeah. So the problem with alphabetical, though, is if you get like something from the beginning and then you have to move everything through three bookshelves over, that could be. Yeah, that's where rough. I got a lot. That's where I was like, uh, I can't do this. anymore. <laughs> uh, and it got a little out do of order. Even... So I would get lazy and just like stick one somewhere. That's yeah, close enough. <laughs> See, I used to have enough time in my life where I kept things at a new level of OCD because it was alphabetical. Then by the series within the order in which I read which series from the author. So like Anne McCaffrey was Tower and the Hive, then Dragon Riders of Pern, then um then uh the the ship the brains and bronze and then I have them within the series within the um series in chronological order of the series mm -hmm. because somebody may not have had a life as a teenager. Right there with you. It is a okay. <laughs> Books were my friends. I had two friends. We were in a history class together and they read fantasy too. So everything I read, they read. Everything they read, I read. That was it. That was Hey, it. that's awesome. You had a companion. I did. I did. Are you are you also a history I'm nerd or is just I I'm a or is it just coincidentally that where you I okay. would love if I had like the spare time, I would totally dive back into history. I loved it. I used to hate it. I did not like it. And then, um, so I, I was homeschooled growing up. And so I was kind of just learning from textbooks and I would do online courses and it just, it wasn't it. And then one, a family friend of ours is a licensed teacher. And so she was teaching her daughter history, who's my age, she's my best friend. And then one of our other friends joined our history class. There were three of us and we, every week would go sit down and do history. I did, was not happy. The first two weeks, I was not happy to be there. And then her mom sat down with me, our teacher, sat down with me and was like, look, I know you don't want to be here, but I want to help you. I want to help you learn. So just work with me. And then I ended up just falling in love with it. So yes and no, I would love to be more of a history nerd than I am. I've lost a lot of that stuff that was up here, um, but I do love it. I think it's so fun. <laughs>
So history is just a. It's no, a Jr's a, a lost a lot of, of that. Stuff. <laughs> Jr's lost a lot of the twenty-seven concussions. I'll do it here. Um, he still is a history nerd, and so I mean, you don't need history to be a history nerd. It's true. I've recently become obsessed well, with learning nautical history. I think because I I have a I have a love of pirates that is kind of just developed from a young age. I, I think pirates are cool. And so I have recently kind of come into a, a little phase of like just learning everything nautical that I can watching these TV shows. And I've gotten a couple of books. I've gotten whatever, just kind of eating it up. I think it's fun. So sometimes pirates are misunderstood. I remember my sons when they were young enough to watch Jake and the Neverland Pirates and they had the main character was like, we're pirates. We don't steal. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What? That's definitely. Are we gonna just let that lay right there? So I had to stop the the, the episode for my kids. They were not happy to give them a lesson on exactly what a pirate was, so that way they could just correct. Gee, that and you right wonder there. why you weren't their favorite parent. <laughs> okay, maybe Jeez. I have issues. I don't. Know. Maybe, maybe. <sighs> But the cool thing about studying history is, if you write fantasy, it gives you so much fodder. I mean, oh, yeah. George R. R. Martin built a franchise on his love of history. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, I think, yeah. It was built on his love of history and mankind's weird obsession with incest. <laughs> I don't know if that's mankind's it obsession is not or that's George's. People, but... No matter how much it rhymes. His specific obsession. <laughs> like, I, I just think that maybe these were love letters to a psychiatrist and they were like trying to work through his issues and mm -hmm. somehow it went to the printer instead. Like, that, that makes sense to me. Like that, you so know, you that like old meme about you're supposed to write down what you want to say to somebody when you're angry. And then they're like, wait, I was supposed to burn those. I put them in the mail. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you mentioned that you didn't like George R. R. Martin and you, partly because of the incest. Was it, does the grimdark thing work for you or was that part of it too? Um, I honestly don't remember. I'll be honest with you. I, I got, do you read other grimdark series? <laughs> I prefer I a little bit of hope that the world is dark enough without it. It's so. it's like a, it's got to be a balance. Like I don't have an issue with darkness in books, but I also, I don't, if, if I feel like it's, it's weighing me down, then it's just not worth it, you know? So yeah. it's that balance of like, I, I like seeing broken characters. I like seeing broken worlds, but I don't like when that starts to intervene with my my life, <laughs> my real life, because I want to keep my life yeah. bright and happy. I'm a bright and happy person. <laughs> so you mentioned that you were a fantasy nerd when your family were all more sci-fi. So where did you discover the genre that is spec fic? Uh, was it from your family on accident or it, somewhere else? <laughs> so yeah, my husband's super sci-fi. My little brother loves fantasy, but my parents and the rest of my siblings kind of just not their thing um either of it they're not sci-fi or fantasy um so it started oh. yeah they're just that's not that they will enjoy it and they'll read the stuff i write but they they just not their thing so i don't know where i got it from i'm the little odd one out here me and my little brother <laughs> kind of the odd ones out um actually both of my brothers actually do enjoy it um but one of them is writing and the other one is just like huge harry potter nerd so you know it's it's so has I he published stuff too? Hmm? Has your brother published too? 
Not yet. He would love to. He's still writing his first book. Um, he is 15 years old. He's been writing this. It's going to be like a seven book series. He's got it all planned out. I've heard all of it and I, I love it. Ambitious. I, I like it. Yeah. I love that for him. Um, however, so I first learned about fantasy. I had a friend um, who sent me the books Fable Haven by Brandon Mole. I have them up here. Okay. Here. They um I like those those ones. I read those with my sons. Yeah. They I was I think in like fifth grade, so I was probably like 10 or 11. Um, and she sent those to me and I read them and I loved them. Um, didn't realize that it was like a full series, so I read them like over and over again. And then I realized there were more books, so I read more. And then going into that history class I did in um late middle school, early high school was when my friends who were into fantasy were going, here, read this, here, read this. Um, so that's where it's sci-fi touched in there too. Cause um, one of the big series they had me read was Michael Bay by uh, Richard Paul Evans. And that one's pretty okay. sci-fi. I, it is sci-fi. I loved it. Um, and then from there, it just kind of spiraled and I read recommendations from them and they read ones for me. And so that's where that was kind of fueled and fed. They introduced me to Lord of the Rings. They, I, th I think I introduced them to Harry Potter. I found Harry Potter first. I was like, you guys have to read this with me. <laughs> and so we did. Um, but it was all like, this was all middle school and high school. So, and I'm only 21 right now. So it's not been super long. Oh, you're a baby. I am. <laughs> Where something just creaked, JR. <laughs> I know. When I was 21, I was on my second war zone. <laughs> Win some, you lose some, I guess. I thought it was your third. Um, no, wait, your home life was good. Sorry, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned how you found speculative fiction, but what is it about that umbrella that fantasy sci-fi horror technically counts and some of the others? One day we're going to have to do a panel doc on what exactly spec fic is, because I'm sure it's more than fantasy sci-fi and horror. Mm -hmm. um, but but that's not today. So what is it about speculative fiction writ large that you love so much? Um, I think it's the fact that people can create worlds from and not, I'm not nothing. I, I've, I've said this before. I've talked about this with people before that I don't think um, anyone really has a completely original idea. I think as human beings, we take things that are already have already been created and turn them into something new and combine them. And I think it's a fantastic thing. Um, and that's part of the reason I love reading and writing because I get to see what other people's minds come up with. And to look at something, go, oh, they took this idea and they took, they did something else. They did something new. They made something new that in a sense isn't new, but it's so fantastic that it brings new feelings, new thoughts. And I, I love that. I think it's so cool. <laughs> and I love fantasy because it's just that like the, the ability to once again, create something that didn't previously exist, if that makes sense. <laughs> It does. So you're taking the approach that you're uh, standing on the shoulders of giants as you tell your stories. Yeah. Because um, I don't know that fantasy as we understand it today would have existed before Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. No. Right. You know? And, yeah, and so, you know, it's definitely, you know, you're sort of coming in with people having an, uh, you write stuff in the I, modern I world, you can get away with certain. Some of that has to do with, are your elves tall or short? <laughs> My elves are really? tall. <laughs> D and D elves are short. Yeah. Tolkien elves are tall. Mm -hmm. Okay. I hadn't thought of that. I just, um, 
I think one of the benefits of people that write like modern cozy mysteries, for instance, or stuff, modern romance, is you don't have to explain what a car is. They all know. So you can get away with some world building because they just live it. Mm. I think since Tolkien and you're right, D&D, since those came into being, you can get away with some of that with the basics of fantasy because there are mm. certain things that are just understood at this point. Yeah. It's part of the cultural melu. So I, you're right. You're, you're building on what's already there. Mm-hmm. So you 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 mentioned that you you know how you found speculative fiction, but how did that transition? You know, you're reading these books as kids with your friends. Mm-hmm. I know what's that weird, Doc. Having friends, right? You must not know what that's like. But anyway, I know what that's love like. They are. I can leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> you see, um, Jr. Even your mom likes me. Now, my mom doesn't like me, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. How did you transition from reading the stuff to deciding, you know, I'm going to write my own story? <laughs> this is, I think this is a funny, a funny question because the answer to that, I think is funny. So I, at the time that I started writing my first book, which by the way, is not, it's not the Curse of Rago. It is not published. Uh, it was called Little King at the time. Um, but I started writing this book uh, or I had this idea but I got super frustrated because I had just gotten into Lord of the Rings. I was looking at everything that Tolkien had made. And I was like, it's not fair that he can create this whole world with all these stuff. And I can't do that. And that's not fair. And then I was like, you know what? Screw it. I can do that. And so I did. And so I came up with this world. It was awful. It was so bad. The ideas behind it were, had no ground whatsoever. Grounds to, but it was it was not a great, but I did it. And I created these characters. I created this world. Um, and then it went through about two years of me just sitting on the story um, until I actually started writing it. And that's where it kind of transitioned from just building a world to writing the story in which the world is. So, or that takes place in this world. So that's how I, I it was, it was out of spite, really. <laughs> as good a reason as any. Sometimes caffeine and spite is what keeps you going. Yeah. So many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? I know you're relatively young, but you can live a big life in 21 years if you go to foreign countries and blow stuff up. So I'm assuming civilians can do it too. Absolutely. Um, I don't think, I mean, I know personal experiences bleed into my books. Um, I've, I feel like every single one of my characters kind of has a little piece of me. Like if I totally leaned into one side of me, then I would become this character. Um, But I think honestly, my writing was like pushed. I was, when I was in fourth grade, so before I was into fantasy, um, I enjoyed journaling and I would write little stories. They were always little like, oh, you know, a little talking dog and whatever. Um, And my teacher at the time was super like, this is so great. Like you should keep doing this, whatever she, and, and they were obviously terrible because I was nine years old. Um, but having that, so while I don't have like a, a moment that like feeds into my stories, but having that form shaped me as a storyteller, having someone that young tell me like, Hey, you're doing great. I want to read what you're writing, even though she probably didn't, <laughs> she still told me that and she would still read it and she would help me with it. And so I think that even though I don't have like a, like you said, like a war that I went to <laughs> that shaped my storytelling, I did have people in my life that have shaped my storytelling into what it is. So 
I use that as because it's an extreme example, but I know people who have, you know, climbed Mount whatever Fuji. Or I don't know. I, I don't know all the mountains. No, no, but like, I, there are things you can do. Yeah, there are things you can do that are exciting that will shape the kind. Like, you know, it doesn't just have to be the military. It's just that's an extreme example. No, I, I get you. So I did actually do martial arts for several years. I fun fact, I am a black belt in mixed martial arts. I earned my black belt at 16 years old. I did it for like five years. Congratulations. Down. Thank you. Our school closed down and I kind of dipped out of it. Um, but during that time, especially in training for my black belt, um, they, it might, it was not their best decision, I think, but they had decided that they wanted to like give me full contact. Um, they wanted me to just get mad and hit people, which was not how martial arts is supposed to be but they wanted to. And so in doing that, I was in a lot of just straight, I mean, I had headgear on and I had boxing gloves on, but I was just getting wailed on by kids twice my size. Um, so I have, there was a time that I was kicked in the head five times in a row, just almost, I was that close to just falling on the floor, passed out. Um, surprised I didn't, I made it through that. <laughs> but all of those definitely did when it comes to writing specifically hand-to-hand -hand combat in my books. Um, it's comfortable for me. I know what it feels like. Um, I know what it looks like. I know the way your body reacts to things. And so that definitely has fed into my hand-to-hand -hand combat in my books. So do you study like, I guess, HEMA for, or like, I don't know, SCA for like sword fighting stuff? I presume they've got stuff out. They do. I have not really. Um, most of the time I just sort of if I need to know information in the moment, I just Google, watch some YouTube videos and go, ah, got it. And then push it in. But I would love, that's another thing that I would love to absolutely get into is sword fighting. So my, uh, my friends from history class, we've talked about, well, what if we just like did that as a workout? What if we like did sword fighting training as a workout? So it's something I would love to get into. I mean, um, I don't know enough about, and I want to learn more about. I think it could be fun. I think so too. So archery though, that sounds that's gonna get your bulk yeah. arms up. Oh yeah. I was a Girl Scout, so I man, archery is just <laughs> I still have a bet. <laughs> so when I went to Boy Scouts, I we did a lot of the rifles, but there was one of the times we went to camp and we did the um the archery range. Mm -hmm. And my dad bet me twenty dollars that I couldn't hit the bullseye. So I did three rows over and five rows back from the one I was aiming at, but we didn't specify my bullseye. So my contention is that he owes me the money. He says it doesn't count because it wasn't mine. So we've had this argument since ooh, about 1995. I'm on your side. Um, <laughs> thank you. Doc sided with him just because she doesn't like me. <laughs> so, you no. know. I've, it's been five years, JR. Oh. <sighs> One All day right, you're going to give me an anniversary present. Until then, you're still scum. Ouch. Fair, fair. <laughs> All right. I mean, I've sent you booze before and wine glasses. Does that count? You did. I guess that does count. I, you are forgiven. <laughs> For now. She, she's a chemist, so I sent her uh, her favorite alcohol is wine. So it had like the chemical formula of wine etched into the glass. That's fun. I like All right, that. Doc, fandom questions, your favorite. Okay. So have you had any cool, fun fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet? I have not, which is kind of sad. But also at the same time, um, this is my first book. Um, 
fairly new. And um, it, uh, as a, like with the book itself, I'm, I've, I, I'm as it's an indie published book. And so it was not like, I'm doing all the marketing on my own. Um, and that's not my forte, but I have, I haven't also put a whole lot of time or energy into that because the book, while I absolutely love it, it was my first published. It was a learning curve. When you read it, you can tell that I was not super great at world building yet. And there's some stuff that just kind of falls flat or it was a learning experience and I love the book and I love the story. Um, but what I am putting my effort towards now when it comes to like my maps that I do and the books that I'm writing now, they, I think are just, what I did with the Curse of Raga was great, but I know I can do better. Um, and so because of that, I haven't put a whole lot of time or energy into marketing the Curse of Rago. And so because mm -hmm. of that, a lot of people haven't read it. Um, that and it's uh, so, a, a young adult book. Um, so it's definitely more for like middle school, maybe high school age. Um, so anyways. <laughs> so so the pro tip, and I've gotten lectures because we've interviewed some people that have been around the business for a while about yeah. the business, including from Tony Weisskopf over at Bain Books. You're never supposed to say that it's not my best work. You can say, I absolutely love it. It was a labor of love. It's the coming age story of the characters yeah. in the novel, Connor and I can't remember the other one. And as I was coming of age myself, and you should absolutely follow that journey with me. It'll be an adventure. You don't ever say it's not the best book because you want people to buy it. I know that. I know Choosing, that. Susan, you got to get there. <laughs> I know that. I'm not. It's not that it's not because it was my absolute best at the time that I did it. I was, gosh, 19 years old writing it, published it at 20. And I was, I mean, I worked my butt off for this thing. And at the time, it was the best I could possibly do. But once again, now that I know more, I've learned, I've grown. And so every book is going to be better. Um, than the previous. And I know that, and I've accepted that, but I, I'm not, you're right. It was a labor of love <laughs> and you all the best ones are. <laughs> so I'm trying to think when she talks about these young ages, I'm thinking, what was I doing at 19? That was the, <laughs> when I became a corporal the first time and then got demoted for celebrating a little too hard with some underage drinking. Don't do that people. It's bad for your army career. That's, um, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but I just, it's, it amazes me. It amazes me that someone found their passion with the writing like that young. Yeah. Because you think of all the extra stories you'll get to tell because you discovered it sooner rather than people that are like, you know, I'm 50 and I'd, I'd like to write a novel someday. So they say, I mean, no shade at them, right? Better late than never, whatever. But the fact that you're started so young, yeah. right? And there's one of the girls that's, um, they interviewed her. She wrote fantasy, I mean, excuse me, she wrote mystery. So we couldn't get her on the show. It doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. But like she published her debut novel that was a bestseller at 17. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, when I was 17, my head wasn't on straight enough to do something like that. Yeah. So it's it's impressive. Your head's not on straight now, JR. It's kind of crooked. That's why I have the I neck brace to keep me there. <laughs> All right, Doc. Before I distract us again, save us from ourselves. Or from Okay. Me, right? Has has anybody asked you for your autograph yet? Um, I've had many requests for autograph books specifically. Um, no, no, uh, hey. Can you sign this? I love you. But I have had um, a couple of people reach out to me and say, hey, um, I want to buy your book, but um, I don't just want to get it on Amazon because it's only available on Amazon right now. And they've said, well, I just I really want it signed. Can you sign me a copy and mail it to me? Um, so I've had that a couple of times. Um, everyone at work that has bought a copy has said, I will not give you money unless you sign it. 
So I consider that a request for an autograph. <laughs> I think that counts. I think, I so think so. that counts. Well, they also have this ongoing joke uh, that it's not the curse of Rago, it's the curse of Ragu. And it is an undercover cookbook uh, about the horrors of spaghetti. So, you know. Oh, wow. Are you trying to like traumatize children so they never eat food? I guess so. I guess so. So that is an ongoing joke of the curse of Ragu. That's proof that she's young and doesn't have children. Otherwise, you know, you know children must eat something. <laughs> Um, so what was it like the first time you signed your book though? Um, it definitely felt good. It was like, I'm pretty sure the first copy that I ever signed was a copy for myself because I got it in the mail and I was like, oh, I got to sign it now. Um, and so, and I wanted to test my signature too. I wanted to make sure I could do it right. Um, so I did, I sat down and I, I signed it and I was like, oh, this is my book <laughs> and it's signed, <laughs> put it up on my shelf. Yeah. That's awesome. A special, little special moment. So have you had any Did you spell your name right the first time? Um, oh, my signature did you spell your name right the first time? Uh, actually, I have, hang on. I have a copy right here. And you, I'll show the, the YouTube viewers. My signature is, is a scribble. It's just a little. Oh, I like that. My dad's signature is also a scribble. So I kind of just mimicked him. That's like I, a doctor's signature. It is. I think it's great. <laughs> I will say that honestly, I have a book of author signatures and it looks like a book of scribbles. Yeah. Yeah. So here is another question though. Have you had any okay. fan interactions yet that are funny? I have not. I'm waiting for some though. So this May I'm going to, it's called books, gowns and crowns. It's in Tampa, Florida, which is right near where I'm at. I'm in Florida. Um, and so it is just a big, fantasy author convention and i am uh one of the authors that is going to be there gonna have my little table so i'm really hoping i it's like a three-day event so i'm just i'm so hoping i come back with a great story from that i think it's gonna that be, so would be much awesome so because you are definitely new hold on i'm going to be here guys if you want to know more what shut up jr shut up jr shush do not forget to sign up for her newsletter, and they can do that where, Kate? Oh, on my uh, on my website. Um, the newsletter is it's. I'm figuring it out, so bear with me. Um, but I I do have it. It is um, my I last I checked the actual looking the link like looking it up online wasn't working. But on my Instagram and my TikTok, if you go to the link in my bio, you can go to my website. Should be katecorsack.com, and you so in. And we will have her website linked in our show notes for people to check out. Perfect. Thank you. So when you go to this convention, <laughs> are you going to be dressing so up like? Um, so it is the first night is, a, I believe the first Friday night is a ball. So I will 1000% be do. It's a masquerade ball that I'm very excited about. Um, and then the next couple of days, it's all optional. Um, so I kind of, I'm going to see, I, for sure, I've got a little crown that, uh, matches the curse of Rago. So that might be going on. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. So uh, we'll find out you, since it's a ball gown, you've got to make your husband dress up and just drag oh. him with you. Cause it will be hilarious. We it's are just, it's part of being a spouse to an author. And you can put it in the newsletter. He's excited. There We're you gonna go. Be matching, like masquerade things. I got so like a red dress. We interviewed a maroon. Awesome. 
That's awesome. We interviewed one author who writes uh, fantasy romance, and so she would dress up as a bar wench and then go to Renaissance fairs and sell her books there. That's actually very. She said the costume gets people to talk to you. She said, "Put the costume on, and yeah. you can catch people's attention." That's funny. I love so, it. I, I do too. I, I'm all about creative marketing because you know they are. I will buy a case of books for you if you circulate a picture of you dressed as a bar wench. Boy, oh boy. I don't think the world is ready for that. So instead, we're going to ask her. Obviously, um, this is your debut off, uh, novel, but have you written any other things like short stories that might have been out there? Because not everyone remembers to count those. I know. Um, I'm trying to think. I I know I've written them, and I don't think any of them ever got published, though. I don't think so. Um, I know at a point in time, I had like an old like blog where I would put stuff on that, but I don't think those are up anymore. Um, but I have written many short stories. Uh, someday I would love to publish a short story book. Um, I'm currently writing a high fantasy, young adult, high fantasy novel. Um, it's that's, that's in like its fourth draft right now. Uh, I'm going to be sending that to publishers. And then I've got another one that's in its first draft. That's my pirate story, my little magic pirate story that I think is going to be so much fun. So I'm writing a lot. Um, but as of right now, I think The Curse of Rago is my only published work. There are a lot of open calls for anthologies. I'll have to reach with you uh, offline and get you some of those links so you can potentially submit those stories. Because part of the fun of writing them is other people reading them. And you can't mm -hmm. do that if they're not out there. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, exactly. I guess that makes it easy to know what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. Uh, and it is a man this time. Sort of. And a Marine. General Sergeant hold John Doe is frustrated. He didn't join the Space Corps to be shuttled around in a ship. He joined to fight. So far, he has only seen a few skirmishes. He itches for a fight. Something he can use to impress his junior Space Marines, as well as use to pick up chicks. Now that he's aboard the USS Big Stick, he hopes things will be different. The Space Federation has defeated their longtime enemy, and has decided another war was just what the people needed. One was intentional, the other was not. Either way, Gunny is excited. Now Gunny and the rest of the ship's crew must fight for their lives against an enemy none of them saw coming. What could possibly go wrong? Dive into the Vacuum Suck Hard, Adventures of the USS Big Stick by J.R. Hanley and Chris Winder and find out for yourself. Hopefully my mom never reads that one. Oh boy, Jr. I think you're. So there was a going on with you. Yeah, <laughs> my shrink better never read it. Uh, it started with the open call for an anthology for space humor, and I, I, my humor is very army barracks, and that's about it. And so I sent them the first two thousand words, and I'm like, "Is this going to be okay?" And they said, "You know, like we have kids read this, right?" I'm like, oh. Okay, but I couldn't get the story out of my head, so I finished it, and then I had to give it to my friend Winder, the Marine, and should tell you something to get it like, like made more publicly acceptable the humor. So it's one of those <laughs> stories. You probably shouldn't read that in church. Probably shouldn't. Just fair warning. <laughs> All right, funny, thank you for funny. sticking with us through that. That's because Jr. is funny looking. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. But obviously, since it's her debut novel, we're here to talk about The Curse of Raga or Ragu, whatever. We don't judge. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you like come up with the idea? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, overindulging in expired chocolate? 
Wait, oh, does boy. chocolate actually expire? Uh, yes, chocolate definitely yeah. expires. Yes. <laughs> um, so the Curse of Raga was the second story I ever came up with. So after after my first one that definitely needed some help, um, I had gotten a writing buddy. So essentially, um, I'll give her a little shout out. Her name is Kaylee Stepkowski. She's a sci-fi author. Um, she wrote the Ever series. She's got the fourth book of that. The finale of this series coming out uh, in just a little bit here. I don't have the release date yet, but it's coming out this year. Um, and so she is fantastic. She, um, she and I met in a college class. And so we sat down next to each other, started talking. She told me she'd published. I said, oh my gosh, I want to publish. And we got close. And that was several years ago. So we've been talking for probably four years. Um, then we started meeting weekly to uh, read each other writing and support each other and just talk about writing life because neither of our families are writers. So we kind of just had each other. Um, and so there was one day we went out for coffee, sat down at this coffee shop and I was like, Kaylee, I really want to write another book and I don't know what to do because I, I haven't ever made a second world before. I feel like I can't do any better than what I've already done. And so she kind of helped me brainstorm. We started brainstorming and I had this scene in the Curse of Rago, it's uh, when our two main characters meet for the first time. Cassin uh, grabs Conroy, holds a knife to his throat, is like, "Did you kill your family?" Conroy's like, "What? No!" <laughs> and it's this this interaction between them um, that I just I saw it in my head. I was like, "Okay, I love these characters. I like the scene. Let me figure out how to do this." And so that's how the Curse of Rago uh, originally started. So thanks to the help of Kaylee, um, yeah, it was. It, it went from there. And then eventually I read it to her as I was writing it. So she got the very first draft of this book week by week. I would say, Kaylee, I wrote two more chapters. Here's what I'm reading you this week. And uh, yeah, that's how that's how that book came about. That's as good of way as any, starting with a um, knife fight. Yeah. I, I approve. You, <laughs> you know, because that's how you talk to your friends. Yeah, of course. Or maybe that's just talk. I don't know. All right, Doc, now it's on your turn to ask some questions. So what is the age range for this story? Um, I kind of mentioned earlier, it's a young adult. So um, my characters are a little younger. Um, I wrote it kind of, my brothers were 13 turning 14 at the time. And so I wrote it kind of for that age range, maybe a little older, up to like 16-ish. Um, so it's not like... It, it, I mean, adults can read it. They'd enjoy it, I think. Um, but it's definitely aimed for a younger audience. I try not to get too complex into things. I try to focus on my main characters really just struggling to find them, mostly Conroy struggling to find himself and, you know, deal with kind of a hurt that he's encountered and um, learning to trust people too, who to trust and who not to trust. Um, so it's definitely a more young adult 14 years old. My 14-year-old brother, when they, when they were 14, when I let them read it, and they loved it. They were like, this is the best book I've ever read. So, That's you know, awesome. it's written for. <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely mom, coming in 20 before, but whatever. So, it's like, definitely coming in age. Yeah, shut up. Nobody wants to hear <laughs> it. So, it's definitely a coming of age story. Yeah. And uh, which I think is great. I think they're very fun because we've all experienced that lost in the world. What, 
what am I supposed to be doing kind of moment. Um, but can you tell us more about the main character? Yeah. So Conroy is uh, the youngest of three brothers. Um, he's the prince of the kingdom of Rago. Um, so he's he's got his family. He's pretty close with his dad. Um, and they're kind of gearing up for his oldest brother's wedding when um, he starts having these dreams of his kingdom being attacked and this fire just engulfing everything. And he sees these smoke figures and doesn't know what they mean. Um, and right when he's kind of thinking, all right, something's up here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, the night of the wedding, the fire happens and his family is killed, his castle is destroyed, and he's accused of being the only survivor. And he's accused of starting this fire um, by an opposing kingdom. And so he then is kind of thrust into the, the world that he was very unaware of. He kind of thought he knew everything and he gets thrust into this world where he doesn't know a lot. He realizes that what he thought he knew about his family and his kingdom might not be true. Um, essentially, this world, every kingdom has a curse that goes with it. So when the family, the, the royal family moved on to this world, they established their kingdom, they, a curse was established with them. So for um, one of the characters, Cassin, he's the prince of the kingdom of Verdon, and Verdon's curse is giants. So they have giants in their mountains. Sometimes the giants attack. So you don't know. There's the kingdom of Mondove that has, um, they can't grow plants. They can't grow food. And so they have to trade with other kingdoms. And so Conroy's family was the Fae, and they were just these powerful beings um, that were Conroy didn't know a lot about them, but they were very powerful beings that had kind of struck out and attacked other kingdoms. And so his grandfather sent them away and said, we're not, you know, we're going to close off from, from you. So the Fae were kind of cast away. And so they're now rebelling and using Conroy. He's weak. He's the only line left of his family. And they're going, okay, this is our way to get back into the world and get power again. Um, so they try to do that through Conroy. Um, so he's very, at first, very naive, um, very indignant about a lot of stuff, which was very much me at that age. And so I, there's definitely some of that, very prideful. Um, and so throughout the story, he learns to, like I said, to trust people that, you know, not everyone is out to get you. Um, but also, you know, don't think you know everything. Don't don't just assume that what you think to be true is true because there are other people and there are other views and there are other things that you might not know about. So that's essentially the curse of Rago. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so I know we're going a bit out of order because my brain was fried today. I love how you put all the themes on this picture that we have on the screen <laughs> it's great cover art it is it's very clean you can definitely see it and read it but i think it hits kind of some of those classic title forward moments yeah so you kind of get the smoky crown which i think is a great touch but i also love that you have all of the uh, themes yeah within here that people really zone in on mm -hmm. I love it. I think it, this is uh, one of my favorite ways I've seen a book marketed. Oh, I, yeah, I saw someone else do it. Um, I can read it if you want for the podcast listeners. Oh, yeah. Uh, male main character. We've got found family, reluctant allies, evil fae, uh, witty banner, a cursed prince, and standalone novel. 
So, so this is standalone, but do you think you're going to do more in this universe? I don't think so. Um, I might. I'm not going to say never. There's always a chance that I could. Um, I think I would want to develop the world a little bit more before I jumped into it again. Um, but at the moment, I have other worlds that I'm just like chin deep into right now. So the Curse of Rago is definitely, as of right now, is it's its standalone Conroy's story, I think ended where it needed to end. Um, so as of right yeah, now- I mean, You're a history nerd, so you know a world's history has more than one story. Absolutely, absolutely. So. so what do you think makes your story special, the, the Curse of Raga? What do you think makes it special in the crowded field of YA uh, fantasy? Um, especially when it comes to YA, um, I know that specifically romantic relationships tend to be the pushing factor for a lot of them. Um, and when I wrote this, I was really craving a book that did not need romance. Um, and so it doesn't, there's, there's no romance in it. It is kind of a brotherly bond between Cassin and Conroy, um, that grows over time. And so that i think definitely makes it stand out and some people i don't think you know like that a lot but it helps lean into those things like the found family trope um and it just i don't know it it was what i needed at the time and so i think that you know it's something that other people might need as well is that an escape from romance as well that you don't always need that to have a compelling story you don't and i i honestly enjoy the stories that have more i don't mind if they add it like yeah and i don't i don't think romance, of it yeah. but i really I, like so much in life is not really driven by romance right and i don't have an issue with romance at all some the books i'm writing now have romance in them um that was just what i wanted to write at the time what i needed at the time and so i wrote it because no one else was writing it so Obviously, it's fantasy. Uh, we've sort of talked about that. But what other subgenres or genres do you think this story falls into? I mean, yeah, definitely fantasy. It's um, it touches a little bit unsupernatural when it comes to some of these curses. Um, there's creatures like the Night Watchers that essentially I said, okay, what's the freakiest thing to me? And let me make Conroy face that. Um, and so one of the curses of the kingdoms is these creatures that come out only at night. Um, they're essentially just skin and bone, tall, and they mind control. And so you look them in the eye. No one knows what they look like because if you look them in the eye, um, they completely take over your mind. And so that, to me, as someone who values my mind, <laughs> was just terrifying. And so there's definitely a, a touch of that, I think. I wouldn't say... It's a supernatural story, but it does have those little those little touches in it that I think are fun. <laughs> so we talked about the main character. Were there any secondary characters that were especially memorable to you? Yeah. Um, so I kept the cast of this story pretty small. Um, Con, uh, Conroy's the main character. Cassin is kind of the second. Right under Conroy, we've got Cassin. Um, he knows a lot more than Conroy. Um, he's the only child's. Uh, of his kingdom. So he's kind of had to grow up learning how the world works. Whereas Conroy is the youngest, he kind of could skip his lessons and really have to worry about it. Um, but Cassin is very, he's very closed off. 
Um, he kind of is suspicious of everything, which is interest an interesting combination with Conroy, who thinks he knows everything. Um, and so you get these this back and forth of Conroy wanting to do things his way and Cassin going, you're an idiot. You need to stop. Um, and then we've got a couple others. We've got Ashra who comes in. She's in the beginning and she comes in again just over halfway through. Uh, she's a princess of the kingdom of Mondov. And she is very into the spirits of the world. She There's uh, forest spirits. There's the night watchers. There's the fae. All of these curses, all these spirits, she is very into them. And she's very in tune with them. And so when she joins up with Conroy, she's able to help him figure out this connection that he has with the fae. And specifically, the technically fourth character who is called the smoke. So he is a mere image of Conroy. He is a being that the Fae have placed inside of him as a means to control him. But this, they, they made a mistake and the smoke has feelings that they did not mean to put there. And so now the smoke and Conroy are tied with emotions. Um, so this smoke feels guilt and it feels um, like it doesn't want to hurt Cassin or Ashra because Conroy doesn't want to hurt them. Um, and so he kind of becomes his own character in a way where he's, he's Conroy, but he's not, um, he speak, he can, he and Conroy have like mental conversations, which get really funny when they argue because Conroy's over here talking to himself and Caston's like, this kid is insane. <laughs> um, and it just, it gets fun. Uh, so those are kind of the main characters. I've got a magician as well. Who's at the very end. Um, super fun, immortal, uh, super sarcastic uh just a really fun character to write um if i could go back i would honestly do maybe that's what i'll do maybe i'll write another book focused on the magician how about that because he was there very nice and uh i would love to see more of him i think he one was of my great. favorite pern books started that way. <laughs> so, he would, so. so you're you, obviously we don't want spoilers because we want people to read the books we never okay. do spoilers we always encourage them to read the books but is there anything you can tell us about the antagonist or the bad guy without spoilers? Yeah. Um, and no's okay. No, you're good. The the Fae are the bad guys. And you that's, I mean, that's kind of in the blurb in the back. Um, you figure that out. Like in the first like five chapters. <laughs> like, oh, these guys, they're not good, are they? Um, so they are very much trying to free themselves of the bondage that Conroy's family has put on them. Um, and they are slick. They know how to, to toy at Conroy's feelings. Uh, they know how to kind of get him where it hurts. Um, and I like villains like that a lot. I think that they're, they're definitely like evil. Like you can tell, um, you know, there's some villains that kind of hit that gray area, which is something I've been <laughs> enjoying writing lately is those gray. Um, but the Fae are very slick. They're very um, smart. They've been around for a long time and they are just eating at Conroy whenever they can. Um, and I think I think it was, for this story, I think it was great. I enjoyed writing a villain like that. That sounds like it'd be a fun one. Speaking of characters, Doc, uh, we lost her. How would you fare if our, no, 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 you didn't fare me. I just, you didn't, blah. you did not lose me. I just had an ADHD moment. So how would your characters fare well, how would you fare if your characters met you in a dark alley? Oh, boy. Um, Given they knew everything to them. I know. Uh, okay. Ugh. What would probably happen? I'm assuming they're together. 
What would probably happen is Conroy would come swinging at me and Cassin would just grab him by the shirt collar and be like, calm down, <laughs> just wait a second. <laughs> and then we'd probably have a little conversation in which strong words were directed towards me. But I think we'd be okay in the end. I think, I, they're, I think they're happy with the way their story ended. So I think at the end of the day, we'd be all right. I might, might leave with a bruise or two. I think we'd be fine. <laughs> So you'd have to test out your black belt skills at that point. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so we talked about the characters. Do you have, when you're writing your novels, uh, a favorite character archetype? Um, I, and this is Conroy's of this, I like writing, first of all, prideful characters, uh, mostly because they dig their own graves and they fall on their own swords and they, they cause issues. Um, and I've seen that a lot. I've noticed that when it comes to, especially the book I'm working on now, which is called Guardian. Um, my main character very much is very similar in the sense of he is Mr. Hot and he knows it. And he is sure that he is the best of the best. Um, and so seeing those characters, first of all, get themselves into trouble, but then seeing them realize that realize they're the ones who have done this. Um, and especially when they end up hurting the people around them. Um, I just, I love seeing that in characters and as a reader too, it, that's what really gets me. And that makes me kind of drawn to that character and seeing them own up to their mistakes and sometimes just break down when they go, Oh my gosh, I suck. <laughs> you know? Okay. That's yeah. um. So the other one is uh, when you wrote, like obviously every author has their own process. People mm -hmm. that outline tend not to cut as much, but we, we don't really talk about, you know, your writing process, but were there any cool scenes that you cut from the curse of Rago that might make an interesting story? And we talked about this in the pre-show. So if you need me to remind you what you said, I will, but um, did you want to tell the readers? I, I don't remember what I said. It was, what I said. Damn. The alternate ending you found. Yes, 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 yes. I, um, oh, man, and I was so mad when I found it too because it was a really cool idea. I guess when I had first started writing the book, I had typed out an ending, and it's like a solid like half chapter that I had I had written out probably on my phone, um, and then it looks if I, I think I emailed it to myself or something like that. It was really not the best way to keep track of things. Um, and I completely forgot about it. Um, and then when I found it again, I was like, that was such a cool idea. It was this whole thing where Conroy like unlocked a different type of magic in the world and was able to tap into it to communicate with people. And like, it was this, it, I could have made it work, but I totally forgot about it. And by the time I got to the ending, it was not even a thought in my head. Um, but it was, it was, I'm like, oof. Maybe I'll have to make that into a different ending for a different book because that was pretty cool. <laughs> so. So yeah. how much thought and planning, that sounds wrong, but like what level of detail do you go into with the magic? Like, is it something where you have like the Brandon Sanderson, a hundred billion rules for magic, or do you just sort of hand wave them it? Like I do with my science. It's um. JR doesn't know science. <laughs> With the Curse of Rago, I was learning how to world build. Um, and so it is more towards the kind of just, let's see what happens. Um, there are some rules. 
Uh, there are some boundaries to what the curses can and can't do and that sort of thing. But um, for the most part, it was decently open. Now I have become absolutely obsessed with like hardcore world building. Um, before I write, I sit down and give myself a world outline all the way from the genesis of the world through um, like the uh, mythical age, the rise and fall of empires. Um, I go into middle ages, um, age of enlightenment and age of steam. And so usually my books end up somewhere right between uh, middle ages and age of steam. Um, but I go through these full timelines of how magic got to where it is and why it is the way it is and what sort of uh, religions and traditions are like integrated in this world and folklore. I love going into that. So since the curse of Rago, I have just fallen in love with like world building and coming up with magic systems that make sense. I think it was one of my professors that gave me this quote by Tom Clancy that says the difference between fiction and reality is that fiction has to make sense. Um, and so I've kind of <laughs> taken that to heart. Yeah. I, you can't, you know, you can write, the reason a nonfiction book sells is because you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's real. A fantasy book, you got to read and go, oh my gosh, it feels so real, you know? So that's, um, I have fallen in love with you. And that's where my making maps has come in because I have wanted, I've built these worlds and gone, oh, now it needs a map, <laughs> you know, just to, just to get it. I love the map making thing because to be honest, I, I will pull up a book if it has a map in it. I will read and I will go, okay. Because it gives you a sense of perspective. Yeah. And it's fun. Like map making is so fun to me. I just, I love it. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. So people that grew up on the more classic fantasy books, those all used to have the fold out maps in them. That used to be standard. Mm -hmm. And then when everything went digital, people stopped putting them in. I think the tech finally cut up. You can actually, you can put maps into uh, books now. Cause I know my sci-fi one, the reserve is actually has a map in it uh, of the, um, the castle where they had their last stand. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because I just sketched it out of what made sense for the terrain. And my artist who drew it for me, he goes, this is actually a castle in Wales. I'm huh. like, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's a reason like form follows function with castles. Right. So, you know, Square tower, like it didn't take much to make it right. You know what I mean? To, to get it right. But yeah, I think it's kind of cool that you do that. Are you going to include them going forward in the actual books? Yes. The Curse of Rago actually does have a map. I can show it for anyone that's watching video wise. It has, oh, there it is. It has a map. Hold on, hold on. Let me put you center screen. Give me just a second. There it so is. the layout. All right, now you can show it. Is. This is my beautiful map for the Curse oh, of Rago. Um, and actually, so I, I sell custom fantasy maps. Um, and I have what I call the author package where you buy like a color map and then you get a matching one in the black and white style. So it's not just like you take the picture and turn it black and white. I actually remake the map in black and white so that it prints nicely in your book. Um, so that, cause that's what I did with this one. And so I, I like doing that. Um, but yeah, I will, every single book that I publish, will have a map in it. I will refuse to publish a book if it does not have a map. That is my official, you heard it first right here. None of my books will ever not have a map. <laughs> so you mentioned that you had in this series, your um, fantastical creatures. Mm -hmm. Presumably you'll write aliens when you write your sci-fi, but how do you go about creating those when you make up these non-human beings? Do you let your nightmares inspire you? Mother nature, fantasy, lore, I don't know, read the tea leaves. Like what, what, goes towards your creation of these creatures? So once again, depends on the story. 
Um, but lately I have uh, become very into studying Old Testament scripture, right? I'm a Christian. I think I've told you, I've told you guys this, um, but I, there's a lot of creatures in the Old Testament that are not really talked about. Um, and they're mentioned a couple of times, but they, I think are fantastic. So specifically the Nephilim, which were these beings that were um, the children of the sons of God is what they were called. So like these fallen angels and the women of earth. And so there are all of these theories of what has become of these Nephilim creatures, what they do, their theories that Bigfoot was a Nephilim or that skinwalkers were Nephilim. I heard that recently. Stuff. And it is so fascinating to me. And so I've started pulling that kind of lore or shapeshifters. There's a lot of theories about shapeshifters in the Old Testament when God says to, hey, kill all the people, all the, all the cows, all the sheep, whatever. People believe, well, why do you have to kill the animals? Perhaps the people were shapeshifters. And so that's why the, the animals had to be slain as well, because the people were in this dark magic. And so I think it's fascinating. There's a podcast, Blurry Creatures, that I my, my little brother who writes fantasy, he's super into it too. And he's pulling ideas from it from his books because they talk about of like, and it's not just that too. They'll talk about just blurry creatures in general, um, including Bigfoot and stuff like that. But they they tie in those theories of, okay, well, well, what if, like, what if these creatures did actually come from this Mount Hermon event and why is it the way? And so, and, and it goes into Fae as well. People think, well, um, maybe some of these creatures were Fae or fairies um, or failed attempts to bring about an antichrist. I think it's fascinating. Um, so I pull a lot of inspiration from those because it's just, it's cool. It is so cool to study. <laughs> No, it is a good place to it do is. it. Yeah. So I love it. <laughs> Was there anything about the curse of Rago that we didn't ask you that you want to tell us before we wrap this up? Cause we did go a little bit long, but that's mostly my fault. <laughs> no, you're all good. Um, I don't think so. I feel like we covered everything. Y'all asked all the good questions. Oh, she's so sweet. Thank I you. like her. We can have her back. <laughs> can we keep Absolutely. Her back? <laughs> so exactly. we actually do like, in addition to book interviews, we also like we've done interviews of narrators. That's what Doc was talking about in the pre-show. But we also do like fireside chats, which is podcast format friendly panels like you do at a convention. Okay. So those are always fun. We'll have to have you back for those. You're definitely energetic enough. No one's falling asleep. Thank you. I appreciate it. So absolutely. <laughs> are you mainlining the caffeine? Is that what it is? Or like doing jumping jacks before we got started? What was, what's your trick? I, honestly, man, this is this is just how I do things. <laughs> Your poor husband in the morning. Always. All right. So I this mean, is the part of the introduction. Or intro yeah, this is the part of the interview, not introduction, where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. And rumor has it when she hits her 100th review, Amazon will deliver her a unicorn. And then we can find out what unicorn steaks taste like once and for all. So I'm with that being said, Katie... How do you take your steak? Because uh, Doc and I have had this discussion. Normally we ask the pineapple pizza, but that's played out. So how do you take your steak? Uh, medium. Solid medium, gal. I mean, it works okay. if you like it. That's a general. <laughs> Doc wants her cow still mew mooing when it comes to her plate. Ooh. Can't. can't she likes that. Like she might be part she might be part vampire. I don't know. That that would explain a lot. I don't uh, think I've ever seen her out in the daylight either. Come 
It's more like werewolf. <laughs> hey. Okay. This is fair. We're werewolves too. So we'll hey. that one, right? You know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, Katie, before we let you go, can you tell uh, listeners and viewers where they can find you? And as usual, all the links will be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so I uh, am mainly active on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, that's going to be writer KK on both of those. Um, and then once again, my links to all of my, uh, my website where you can purchase those maps, you can see, uh, kind of where my prices start at as well as fill out a quote form. Um, those links are in my bios on both of my social media. Um, so you can find those. <laughs> so her TikTok is hilarious. Her sister got her a cane with a sword inside of it, doc. I sent that thing. to my sisters. It's so cool. I sent that to my sisters and I'm like, how are you letting her be cooler than you? I have not gotten a response yet. So I don't know what they feel about that, but it's a cool story. You know, JR, here's the problem. Your sisters already know there's no hope for you on being cool. This is true. I might stab myself in the foot or cut off my (laughs) ear, but it would be fun. Yeah, I've already decided that from now on, every book is going to have a character that owns that sword. (laughs) That is awesome. That works. Doc might think we're immature, but I like it. Oh, no, I don't so, think you're immature, Jr. I know you're immature. There's a difference. So if you if you like entertaining short content, check out her TikTok. Are you planning on at any point porting some of those over to like the YouTube Shorts as um, well? Maybe. I honest, I am not very familiar or savvy with YouTube, but I I have thought about it. It has been it has been a thought. So maybe I'll actually like attempt and see how it goes. <laughs> Outstanding. And then, as you know, listeners and viewers, you can find us at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. I promise we do answer the letters. And if the letters are less than polite, it was Doc. I swear it would never be me. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We do have a Facebook page. Check that out. We don't have URL dedicated yet. So more likes and follows would be appreciated. Uh, where we share podcasts when they go live, book reviews that we find, uh, recommendations for your TBR because we're nerds and you always need more books in your personal library. Even if you don't have time to read them, you should still buy them because we need unicorns. Uh, we have our website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on people, or you could support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to leave a note in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Saska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. Never! I know. Mama didn't raise no quitter, right? All right, Doc, bring us home. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee Nick Garber and the addle-brained J.R. Handley. This is Seska Small, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. Thank you for spending your time with us. We will be back next week, same time, same place. Don't forget to follow. And, of course, let us know in the comments what you think of this episode and check out Kate's book because it is going to be a fun read. Have a wonderful night. Thank you for stopping by. What? Thank you for stopping by, Katie. Kate.
Thank, thank you for being yeah. here. Thank for you for stopping me. Look down on this man 